Great to be with you, Journey. My name is Bob Schwan, and I work with the Ministry of Crew. I'm making a transition uh, this fall to be a part of the staff here at Journey. Um, and I want you, if nothing else, to catch a little bit of the heart of what it is that myself and my colleague Shana Powell is going to be doing here at Journey this fall. My last 20 years of ministry, like I said, have been with college students. One of the things that I've just absolutely loved about working with college students is they're at that age where they've oftentimes just left home for the very first time, and they're really trying to figure out what is life all about. And now for those of us that are a little bit older in our 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, we know the dirty little secret, don't we? We're still trying to figure out sometimes what is life really all about. In the end, what is really going to matter? And the world is always out there. It's trying to tell us all the time what it is that really matters in life, what is really important in life. Everyone's got an opinion on that. I love when I used to see these t-shirts that oftentimes you used to see around. Have you seen those? Football is life. The rest is just details. Golf is just life. The rest is just details. Fishing, fly fishing, I guess I should say in this community, huh, is life. The rest is just details. But let me ask you a question. I doubt that most of you probably don't have a t-shirt like this hanging in your closet. But what I can say is true about everyone in this room is that your life speaks to what you believe to be true about life, what life is really about. So if you were to have a t-shirt, what would your t-shirt say? Here's what I know. Here's, if I could watch your life for even probably just a handful of days, if I could stalk you just a little bit, I could figure out what your t-shirt would say, what you really think life is about. Because what I would watch is I would just watch your time. How do you spend the 24 hours a day that you've been given? Because that's going to tell me what really matters to you. You know where else I would go? I would follow the money. Where our treasure is, that's where our heart's going to be. What you value, you invest your resources in. Where do you spend your energy? And if I could read your thoughts as you're driving around town or walking around town, what are the things that you daydream about? What are the things that capture your heart and your attention? If I could listen in on all your little side conversations that you have with people, your just chit-chat conversations, those would tell me what it is that matters to you, what you think life is all about. And that's what I want us to think about today. Not only what is life all about, but in the end, at the end of this life, and maybe even after this life, if we were looking back on our life, what would we say really matters? And in this series that we're calling Stuff No One Says, we're going to look at something that Jesus said, just a couple of sentences in a sermon that he gave, that for my money, this rocks my world. And I think it should rock your world as well. Because this short little statement that Jesus made helps define for us what this life is about. In the end, what is really going to matter? And it brings into very sharp focus what this life is about. Now the words of Jesus that we're going to look at, this comes from a larger sermon that Jesus gave called the Sermon on the Mount, 
We're going to look at just a very small section of that. But this little piece that we're looking at is a time where Jesus is referring to this time when we are all going to stand before him and give an account for our life. The text that we're going to read is found in Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 21. And this is what Jesus said. He said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many, Jesus says, not just a handful, not just a few, Jesus says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. I think that just needs to rest on us for a second and think about that. Jesus draws a sharp line in the sand. Every person, every person that walks this planet is one day going to stand before Jesus and give an account of their life. And there's only one question that's going to matter on that day. And that question is, did you know Jesus? Or maybe even a better way to say it and how Jesus phrases it here is, did he know you? The question isn't going to be, did you know about Jesus? The question is going to be, did you know him? It's not going to be, did you go to church? It's not going to be, were you baptized? It's not going to be, did you give money? It's not going to be, did you live a pretty good life? The question is going to be, did you know him? Did, did we actually know Jesus in a way that transformed our life and led us into a life of obedience to the will of the Father, as Jesus describes it in this text? I think the answer to this question is sobering because it brings into sharp focus this one implication. If there was anything that I could have happen for you as a result of this here today, this message here today, is that these words would ring through your mind as you walk through our town, as you walk around our valley and the surrounding communities over this next week. And it's this. Everyone is going to live forever somewhere. Jesus makes it clear right here. Everyone is going to live forever somewhere. Think about that. Every person in our family is going to live forever somewhere. Every one of your friends that you love is going to live forever somewhere. Every one of your coworkers, every one of your neighbors is going to live forever somewhere. Either forever in relationship and intimacy with the God who created them or separated from him forever. And if the Bible is true and if what I read is true, I've got to just say, friends, that in perspective, all the other things that we might want to think that this life is about. Friends, can we just not say that this trumps them all? Helping people find that kind of relationship with Jesus that's going to change their eternity, that's what life is about. Life is eternity. The rest is just details. But how do we live in light of this reality? If these things are true, 
And let's just say for the sake of argument, whether you believe what I just said or not, let's just say for the sake of argument, these things are true. And we want to live our lives in light of this. We want to live our life with a t-shirt that says life is eternity, the rest is just details. How would we do that? How do we live that kind of life? What does that kind of life even look like? Well, Jesus helps us out with that as well. Just a few paragraphs earlier in this very same sermon, Jesus says one little thing to help us understand what does this life of influence look like? What does this life that's focused on eternity look like? And in this simple little verse, Jesus uses a metaphor to help us capture what that life looks like. And we're looking at Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. And here's what Jesus says. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be, except to be thrown out and trampled by men. This simple metaphor Now, if you remember back to high school English, and I know if you're like me, that is a painful memory. A metaphor is just simply a comparison between two things. What Jesus is trying to do here is he's trying to talk about this life focused on eternity and its comparison with salt. But but what does that that really mean? How do do we unpack that? For us to understand what Jesus meant, we've got to look at this text, we've got to understand this through the lens of a first century person. When they heard this metaphor, what would be the things that would be going through their mind? The first thing that they would know absolutely about salt is that salt is valuable. Now back in the first century, they didn't have the kind of refining processes for salt that we have today. So actually even obtaining salt was very, very expensive. So in the first century Roman world, oftentimes they would even use salt as a currency. They would pay their Roman soldiers in salt. And maybe you've even heard that saying that we use someone being worth their salt comes from the first century. Salt was very valuable. Now that kind of gets lost on us in our culture because we can drive to any grocery store in our town and for less than a double shot latte... We can buy probably as much table salt as we could use in a year. In our culture, it's not expensive, but in their culture, salt was incredibly valuable. What Jesus wants his hearers to understand is that they are valuable to him. And people are valuable to God in at least two senses. He is valuable to them in a relational, personal way. We cannot look at the cross of Christ And a God that would come to earth and die for us so that we could have a relationship with him. We can't look at that and say that we are not valuable to God. We matter to him personally and relationally. But we are also valuable to God in his kingdom purposes. What God is doing on the planet. And I loved how Chris Stuckey even described it in that opening thing when she was talking about base camp, when she talked about the big story of God. Friends, the big story of God is that he is in a redemptive process right now. The greatest thing happening on the planet is that God is redeeming people and bringing them back into a relationship with him. As the gospel goes out to people, the good news of the hope of Jesus Christ As that goes out to people, God is bringing people into a relationship 
with him. And, and you know who God wants to use to accomplish that in the world? He wants to use us. Friends, we are his plan. We are his redemptive plan in the world. God has handed the baton to us. Every one of us, every one of us that truly knows Christ is to be a part of God's plan of redeeming the nations back to himself. If you're here today and you truly know Christ and you can feel your pulse or you can fog a mirror, God wants to use you. You are part of his plan. It's not to be left up to just a handful of paid professionals that do the work of the ministry, that do the redemptive work. God wants to use us. And let me just tell you, friends, it's not because God is lazy, because he can't do it any other way than besides us. God wants to use us because there's a way that we're going to experience him as we get involved in what he's doing in the world that we wouldn't any other way. I think of it like this. There were times when I used to mow the lawn when my oldest son was young, and he always wanted to help. And it was an interesting thing because it was great that he wanted to help, but it was oftentimes difficult to have him help me because I, I had to spread my legs out and get him underneath my legs to help me push the lawnmower around the yard like this. How dumb does that look in the neighborhood? But you know what made it worth it for me? What made it worth it was when my son would look up to me and he would say, Dad, I'm helping. I'm helping, Dad. He experienced something of me in helping me accomplish the purposes in our lawn. God wants us to experience something of him as we join him, as we get behind the mower with him to be a part of what he's doing in the world. Now, let me say without hesitation, God doesn't need us. God could accomplish his purposes any way, that he, but he delights to use us because he wants us to experience him. This is how the Apostle Paul said it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself. Meaning, he brought us into a right relationship with him. He reconciled us to himself through Christ, and then he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. What an incredible privilege that God has given us. He's handed us the baton to link arms with him in the greatest thing happening on the planet. A second thing that a first century person would know about salt, that all of us know as well, is that salt creates thirst. Now I know that no one from Journey has ever probably even been inside of a bar or a pub. So I'm going to tell you what sometimes can happen there. For those of you that have never been there. There are times that you walk into one of these establishments and on the bar or on the table in front of you is something amazing. There is free food for you. Sometimes there's bowls of peanuts. Sometimes there's bowls of popcorn, pretzels. You know what it always is? It seems like it's always something that is laden with salt. And you look at that and you just think, finally, 
Somebody cares about me and my needs. They love me. No, they don't love you. What they know is that you are going to eat that salty food. Your mouth is going to go dry. You're going to reach into your wallet, into your purse. You're going to pull out your money. You're going to put it on the table and say, hit me again, Sam. What they know is that salt creates thirst. A life that walks closely with God and reflects his character to the world creates spiritual thirst in the lives of people around them. Our lives create thirst when we're walking closely with God. Lives that reflect incredible love, compassion, humility, authenticity, people that are willing to serve, people that are out there putting others first and ahead of themselves. Those kind of lives are attractive and create curiosity and make people spiritually thirsty. Friends, whether you believe it or not, if you name the name of Christ and people know that you are a follower of Christ, they are watching your life. People are watching your life. Does your life match up with what you say? Several years ago, I had a neighbor that I wanted to influence for Christ. And it seemed like every time I'd try to bring up spiritual things or move our conversation towards spiritual realities, it just seemed like it always got shut down. And it just, it just seemed like it was never going anywhere. And just the way, he wasn't a real chatty guy. And just the way he responded oftentimes made me feel like, I don't even know if, not only does he not want to hear what I have to say, I'm not even sure if he really likes me. And so I just always thought, you know, this is kind of off limits with him. But I kept trying with him. And I'd pray for him. Probably months, maybe even a year later, there was a time that I was driving home down my street. And I saw him come out of his house toward the middle of the street. And I could just tell by the way he was coming at me that he had something to say to me. And, you know, my heart starts pounding because I'm just thinking, he doesn't usually initiate a lot of conversations with me. What, what is this going to be about? So I actually kind of panicked and I stopped my car actually in the middle of the street. And I jump out and I'm just like, what's going on? And he looked at me and he just began to try to make small talk. I could tell he was a little bit nervous. I'm just like thinking, why would he stop me in the middle of the street to make small talk? And pretty soon he just blurted it out. He said, well, I just wanted you to know that I gave my life to Christ and I thought you might want to know that. And I was just like, what? Are you kidding me? And I began to talk with him and he began to unpack all the things that God had been doing in his life over a number of months. Here's the thing that stuck out to me, is he said, all that time, he said, I want you to know I was watching you. I was watching your life. And he said, and every time I drove in and out of my driveway and I'd see you over there, he said, this thought would go through my mind, that guy knows something that I don't know. That guy has something figured out. Now, I I don't share that story because I want to try to make it sound like I'm some great example in my neighborhood. There's nobody that knows more than me what a ding-dong I can be day in and day out. But I just thought about that, and that just stuck with me, and it's actually kind of haunted me, thinking people are watching my life. Is my life the kind of life that is going to point them to the greatness of our Savior, or is my life the kind of life that is going to push them away? A salty life creates thirst in the lives of people around us. It creates opportunities 
for us to talk about and explain the greatest news ever announced. Salt creates thirst. A third thing that a first century person would know that salt is a preservative. One of the purposes of salt was that it prevents decay. Back in the first century, they didn't have frigid airs. They didn't have refrigerators the way that we do. And so their only way that they could preserve meat was to rub it down with salt. Because the presence of the salt in the meat would stop or slow the spread of decay on the meat. That's a picture of what Jesus expects the church to be in this world. That we would be the preserving agent in our culture. That we would stop the spread of the decay of our culture. And let me just make note of the fact that whether you believe it or not, there is a battle that's raging right now between light and darkness. There's a dark world out there. There are dark forces led by Satan and his enemies that want to bring death and destruction to this world. If they had their way, they would want every person that walks this planet to be separated from their creator forever. Light and darkness are battling. And what Jesus is saying is when we live our life the way God intended, when God's people live God's way, we actually push back the darkness in this world. That's a picture of what God wants his church to be in this world. Christians living in this world should actually change the environment around them. Life should be different in the places that you influence because you're there, because you're bringing light into the darkness. I just imagine, what would it be like if every person that was involved around Journey Church, that calls Journey Church their home or is involved in any extended way, were suddenly just removed from the Gallatin Valley. All these people were just gone. Would it change the spiritual environment of our valley? Or would it just change the population? You know what should be said by people that had lived around us? Things should be said if we were gone that they would say, you know, I don't know if I believe everything that they believe, but man, I loved being around those people. I loved working with those people. I loved working for them. I loved them working for me. I loved them being my neighbor. If we were taken away, that's what people should say if we're being what Jesus has called us to be in the world. His preserving agent to stop the decay, the death, and destruction. This is what Jesus calls us to be. You are the salt of the earth. But here's the problem. It's not just a slam dunk that we're going to be that in the world. There's some things that can hold us back that can keep us from being that kind of influence in the world. And I want to circle back to what Jesus said, and I want to talk about some of those things. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 5.13. Let's look at it again. He says, you are the salt of the earth. Meaning, that's my intention for you. That's what I want you to be, the salt of the earth. But there's a big word right there. But. A big but. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. 
It's kind of interesting, isn't it? Jesus is saying that it's possible for salt not to be salt. How is that possible? Salt is just simply a chemical compound. The only thing that makes salt salt is that it's salt. How can it be made not salty? How can it be made useless? How can it be made ineffective? How can it not serve its purpose? The first thing is that salt is useless when it becomes contaminated by its environment. Salt is useless when it becomes contaminated by its environment. In the first century, one of the greatest sources of salt was the Dead Sea. This is where they gathered most of their salt from. But there was a problem with gathering salt from there. Sand looks an awful lot like salt. And it wasn't uncommon that sand would get mixed in with the salt. And they looked just the same. They were indistinguishable. But just think about it for a second. How much sand in your salt would make it useless to you? How many times would you need to bite down on sand to think, I don't want this anymore. This is not good. And you're not going to try to pick all the little kernels, the little pieces apart. It's just, it's useless. We throw it out. It gets contaminated by its environment. The same can be true of us as followers of Christ. As we live in this world, as we live in this culture, we can become contaminated by our environment. We can begin to take on the thinking of the culture around us. We can begin to take on the values of the culture around us. We can begin to take on the lifestyles of the culture around us. And we become contaminated. Where suddenly, instead of our lives looking different, our lives look exactly the same. A way to say it would be this. If we want to make a difference, we have got to be different. Our lives need to look different. Now let let me just say, I'm not talking about the weird kind of different. And we've all seen people that name the name of Christ that are that weird kind of different. We've seen the obnoxious kind of different. We've seen the uber-religious, I'm better than you kind of different. That is not what Jesus is talking about here. I'm talking about the kind of difference in terms of how we love people. That we would love people extravagantly. Because we, more than anyone else on the planet, knows what it's like to have the love of God poured out into our life. The love and the kindness of the grace of God poured into our life. And so it just makes sense for us to pour that into the lives of people around us. That we would be different in our lives, that we would be people that would stand up for the underdog in this world. The under-resourced and the needy. We would be the first to want to be there to help out. That we wouldn't be in this dog-eat-dog world. We wouldn't be just trying to claw our way ahead of other people. We would actually be wanting to help other people win. And we would actually be excited when other people win in life and not jealous. And we would love to even shine the spotlight on other people and not just ourselves. We would be the kind of people that want to serve other people because we serve a Jesus who modeled that's what life is about. He didn't come to be served, but to serve and to be a ransom for many. We would be the kind of people that are able to forgive even very difficult things in life because we more than anybody else understand what it's like to be forgiven in an extravagant way. And so it only makes sense for us to extend that same forgiveness to people around us. 
There would be a difference in how we use our money. We would use our money and our resources to help people because we know how valuable people are to God. We would be authentic with people around us because we've got nothing to hide because the God of the universe who knows everything about us loves us extravagantly. We've got nothing to hide from people around us. We'd be people of integrity and honesty. We would handle our sexuality different than the culture. We would be people of great humility because we know where we stand before a God that is holy and majestic. Friends, our lives would be different. Our lives would stand out in the culture. If we want to make a difference, we have got to be different. Secondly, salt can become useless if it doesn't get out of the shaker. Let's just think about this salt that's in this shaker here right now. This salt has the capacity to do everything that it was created to do, to fulfill its purpose. But friends, it will not fulfill its purpose if it stays in the shaker. Friends, we will not fulfill our purpose if we do not get involved in the lives of people, if we don't get out of the shaker and into the lives of people and rub shoulders with people who are far from God and need the help and the hope that only Jesus can provide. But this can tend to be a problem for us as believers. We like to be together. We like being with other little salt crystals. It's fun. We enjoy it. We love gatherings like this. We love to get our little holy huddles together. Imagine what it would be like if you went to a Bobcat football game. And I love going to Bobcat football games. You should all go to Bobcat football games. Season tickets are still available. But imagine if we went to Bobcat football games and all they did for the whole game was they huddled. They just sat out there on the field and they huddled. And they got down there in their huddle and they talked about football. And they sometimes even stood up and then they sang about football. And they patted each other on the butt and high-fived and talked about how great they are at being football players. We wouldn't pay to go see that, would we? We would think, we're sitting there in the stands, we're thinking, we'll give you time to huddle, that's great. But the question we're asking is, what difference is the huddle going to make? When you line up on the line of scrimmage, what difference is the huddle going to make? Friends, that's the question that we need to ask ourselves as well. These huddles are awesome. I am not demeaning the fact that we get together. These are important and commanded by God. We need to be together to encourage one another, to reset our North Star, to sing praises to our God. These are important. But the question that we've got to ask is, what difference is this huddle going to make? Because this isn't where the battle is being fought, my friends. It's not in this room. This is the easiest place on the planet to be a follower of Christ. But the redemption of the world is not happening necessarily in here. It's happening out there. We've got to be people who are willing to get out of the shaker and into the lives of people. We've got to get out of the shaker. So you see the two extremes that Jesus is trying to guard us against. On the one hand, we can be so engrossed in the culture that we become just like the culture and there's no difference in our lives. But we can be so scared of the culture and being influenced by the culture that we isolate ourselves from the culture. And both of those things, as it relates to what Jesus has called us to do, are bad. 
Neither one of those accomplish his purposes. The third thing that is true of salt is that salt is useless if we don't use the right amount. It's an interesting thing about salt, isn't it? If you don't use enough salt, it has little or no effect at all. But if you use way too much salt, it can actually have a negative effect. I love how the Apostle Paul said it because he wants us, when we think about communicating the gospel, when we think about taking the hope of Jesus Christ to the world around us, that we've got to use wisdom in how we're bold with the gospel. In Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, this is what Paul says. He says, Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders, meaning those people who are at this point outside of the faith, outside of a relationship with God. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. We are called to proclaim the gospel boldly, full of grace, but with wisdom. On the one hand, it's not a, I'm better than you, I'm poking my finger in your chest, this is what you've got to hear, you need to change everything about your life. It's not communicating that way. We communicate with gentleness and respect, with great wisdom. But friends, we've got to understand as well that it is not silence either. It is not just quietly living our life and hopefully maybe someday they'll ask us about our life. We have got to be people who boldly proclaim the message of the gospel to other people. And you know why I know that that's true? I know that that's what Jesus meant when he talked about being salt in the world. Because you can look at the lives of the people that he talked to. When he gave this sermon, there were 12 men that were in the front row, his closest followers. They understood what it meant to be salt in the world. And these were men who, after Jesus Christ left this earth, handed them the baton, they took the gospel boldly to the world. And all of them, except for John, were martyred for what they did. They were martyred for the message. Not because they were just nice guys in the neighborhood. They were martyred for a message. Friends, we've got to be people who boldly proclaim who Christ is and what he's done for us. It's not rudeness, but it's not silence. When we look at the greatest example of what it means to be salt in the earth, we have no better example than Jesus Christ himself. He left the comforts of heaven. He got out of the shaker and he came to this earth to help us, to save us, to die for us. But he didn't become like the culture The culture didn't influence him. He influenced the culture. Jesus is our greatest example. And I would just imagine that if Jesus were here in Bozeman, the Gallatin Valley, this week, walking around, if we were to see what his agenda was, see what his schedule was, my bet would be that he would probably not show up at an environment like this. Not because he doesn't love you, not because he doesn't care about you, but because his heart is to reach out to the lost sheep. We would probably be really surprised where it would be in our community that you would find Jesus. He was constantly discredited during his time because of who he he hung out with, 
where he hung out. He was willing to get out of the shaker. He gave them incredible hope. And this, friends, this is the invitation that Jesus is giving to all of us. He wants us to join with him. He wants us to link arms with him in what he's doing in the world to bring people back into a relationship with him. What would it look like, do you think, in our community, if every person that's a part of Journey Church that truly knows Christ lived this out as their primary identity in life, that this is who we are, what would it look like? Well, I'll tell you what we hope that it's going to look like. In February, you might have remembered if you were here back then, Brian has been talking about some directional shifts that we're thinking about in terms of how we're going to live this out as a church. How are we going to get very, very practical and intentional and strategic about living out the things that I'm talking about here in our community? If you were here back in February, you remember Brian talking about missional communities. And I wish I had the time to unpack all that is entailed in missional communities. But let me just say this. Over the next several months, we're going to be laying the foundation as a church for us to be able to link arms together, to be the kind of people that not only display the gospel with our lives, but we declare it with our lips. We want to be people that are on mission with Jesus. That's what missional communities are going to be about around here, and you're going to hear a lot more about that to come. And the reason why we're passionate about this around Journey is that we understand the implication that everyone in our valley is going to live forever somewhere. Friends, life is eternity. The rest is just details. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Father, thank you not only that you redeem us, that you bring us into a relationship with you, but you invite us to be a part of that redemptive mission in the world. God, we don't see it as a burden. We don't see it as a task. God, it is the greatest privilege to be a part of what you're doing in the world. God, and I just pray that you would continue to stir my heart, stir the hearts of my friends here at Journey. Would you fan into flame? the passion for every person that lives in our valley. Lord, we do understand the truth that everyone is going to live forever somewhere. God, we want to live our lives in light of that truth. We want to make a difference in our community. God, by your grace and your grace alone, would you use us to accomplish that? In your son's precious name, we pray. Amen.